this is several years ago now, I decided to do something nice for my wife. She was uh, working and I had the day off. So um, I decided that I was going to make her my favorite meal for dinner because that seems like a really nice thing to do. Uh, my, by the way, just in case you don't know, my favorite meal is white rice, black beans, and steak. Every, yeah, it's good because it's all downhill from there. And um, so anyway, <clears throat> I, um, I knew how to make rice. I figured, you know, I, I knew how to throw a steak on the grill, but I didn't know how to make beans. So I called my mom and I said, uh, I want to make some black beans. How do I do that? And so I'm on the phone with her. She tells me all the ingredients. She explains to me the inner workings of something called sofrito. And, um, and then, you know, how long the beans had to be in the pressure cooker and all that kind of stuff. And then um, she's giving me all this detailed information, this for five minutes, this for ten minutes, this for thirty minutes, whatever. And um, at the end, she says, Robert, are you writing all this down? And I said, no need. I have it all memorized. It's good. So anyway, I... Um, I make some rock and sofrito. I mean, it was good stuff that I made. The sofrito was good. I soaked the beans, put them in the pressure cooker, and then I knew it was going to be a while, so then I had set up uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, to watch. And, um, and the only thing is that when I put the, the, when I put the pressure cooker on, I actually didn't remember how long it was supposed to cook for in the pressure cooker, but I knew that as long as that thing was going to, as long as that thing, little thing was doing that, I was in good shape. And so, anyway, so I sit down to watch, get the, I get the movie going, the stereo system, and I'm watching uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I hear that in the background. And then, it was probably like an hour later, I had totally forgotten about the beans altogether. And then I hear, boom! And it was, it was like a Spielberg-esque boom. Unfortunately, it was in my kitchen and not on the television. And, um, and it also, the boom released the most hideous smell I've ever smelled in my life. Um, the pressure cooker lid had, well, the pressure cooker had exploded. The lid had come off, which, by the way, I don't know if you ever calculate how much pressure a pressure cooker needs for that kind of thing to explode. Well, anyway, um, there were beans everywhere. This thing had exploded. Beans were on the walls. Beans were on the floor. They were on the ceiling. Somehow beans had made their way behind my fridge. And I'm not even really sure how that's humanly possible, because I'd never even been able to reach back there. And, um, and so I, I didn't know what to do. I called Carrie, and I'm like, what do you do in a situation like this? So I start, she's like, well, what happened? So I start telling her the story of the, the beans, the, the whole thing. And then what I didn't know, I didn't realize that my wife, as I was telling the story, had put me on speakerphone. Uh, and so I, the only reason I knew that is because I heard, I heard everyone in her office laughing at me. And um, so that's kind of how it, how it got going. So um, when people ask, me this, people ask me the question, so what's the story of Calvary? I usually say Calvary's story is a lot like the time I tried to make beans. Uh, because there was this guy who wasn't really paying attention. He was there. And then there was also something explosive that happened and dynamic that happened. It was just like that minus the smell. Um, now, here, here's the thing is... Um, since we've started um, 11 years ago, we have been really about one thing, and that is to help people take their next step with God. Because we believe at the core of our being that every single person has a next step to take. That it doesn't matter if you're a non-believer, new believer, or mature believer, or you're somewhere in between in that continuum, that all of us have a next step to take to draw closer to God and to know Him better. And not only is that true at an individual level in our church, but it's also true at a macro level, at, at a big picture level for us as a congregation, as a body, as a family. Um, when we, our, our story has been one of taking next steps. Um, we started meeting in a living room, um, my wife and I and five people, and we started this church. In fact, we have a picture of that living room that we met in. Um, if we, that, that was it, and you can, I think there's maybe like 20 chairs there. We had been going for a month or two after, by then. We were, we thought we were rocking. We were like 15 people coming. Um, so right now, if we were to still be meeting here, I think we'd be doing like 200 services on a Sunday. Um, so, but we were there for a little while, and then we moved to the, uh, the courtyard, uh, there, um, which is interesting because I'm wearing the same shirt, apparently. Um, but I did notice that I had a lot more hair. Back then, so I don't know what the, you guys' kind of stress has done to me, but uh, I had a lot more hair back then. And um, then we moved from the, the theater, the, from um, 
the hotel, we were there for probably about a little over a year. And then we went from there to uh, Regal Cinema, which then became Cobb uh, Theater. And there's a picture of the... Um, the hair's already going there by then. Um, but there, that, was, uh, that was kind of a... The things had gotten a bit bigger by then. And then we started doing... Um, we started in the small theater that they had, which was um, probably sat about 180 people. And then we moved to the big theater that they had, which sat about 400 people or so. Then we started doing two services in that same theater. And then we started doing three services. But, uh, but the challenge that we had is that the theater wanted to start showing movies. I don't know what that's all about, but they want to start showing movies on Sunday. So they gave us, like, well, you've got to be totally out by one. We needed more seating space. So we said, okay. Um, so we had this crazy idea, and we said, what if we actually took the theater across the way and we just made it an exact duplicate of everything that happens here? So we could start one service and then start the other one and then kind of get, them all, get all these different times going. And so we started doing three services at 9, uh, 9.30, 10.15, and 11 o'clock or something like that, or 11.15, I believe, was when the service started. And so what would happen is, is that the band would start in Auditorium A, they'd finish worship, then I'd start teaching. Once they were done, they'd go to Auditorium B and start worship. Once I was done, I'd have five minutes to go from Auditorium A, take a sip of water, go to Auditorium B, put on the mic, and then start teaching again. By that time, the band had already left and gone back to Auditorium A to start the third service. So then when I was done teaching the second service in Auditorium B, I'd come back over to Auditorium A and teach the third service. And if you say that's confusing to even think about, imagine doing it for you know, a, a while. And um, there's this weird thing that happens is that um, sometimes you don't realize it, but when you're, if, you're, if you speak publicly, sometimes you're, you're talking, but you can actually sometimes be thinking about something else. And um, not all the time, because with you guys I'm totally engaged. But without, sometimes, you know, you're kind of thinking about something else. Um, but I remember one time I was teaching, I was in the third service that, you know, kind of this, all these staggered services, and I, I was telling, I was saying something, and I remember thinking, did I just say this? And it was like, yes, you just said it 20 minutes ago to another group of people. But it was like, it, it, it was all so staggered that I was teaching three services and I only had five minutes in between each one. It was just, it, it, I couldn't really even get it straight in my mind, much less to, um, to, to, uh, to anybody else. Um, but what, uh, the, probably the most famous Sunday in the history of our church in the theater was the Easter Sunday uh, that was there, also known as the Sunday of the Easter Squirrel. Now, how many of you remember the Easter Squirrel? All right, several of you. Okay, for those of you that don't remember the Easter Squirrel, um, I actually am going to show you a never-seen-before, this is like bonus clip on the DVD footage, not footage, but actually this is the picture of the Easter Squirrel. Um, that is the, the actual Easter Squirrel, the satanic, demon-possessed, agent of evil, turn to the dark side, squirrel, that, ru that tried to ruin our Easter services. Now, if you don't know what my, what the, I'm going to tell you a brief story. And um, we, we, had, we were getting ready for three services on Easter in, in the theater, and everything was going, and then all the power went out. I mean, all the power went out for an entire city block. And so we called FPL. FPL finally comes out, and they say, <laughs> and they, they say um, well, here's the problem. There was this squirrel. And you know, listen, when, somebody, when there's a problem and somebody starts the explanation with, there was this squirrel, it is not going to end well. Um, and I, he said there was a squirrel. I said, you're nuts, and it was all gone from there. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Bad pun. Okay, so here's the thing. So he says, well, there, there, this sometimes happens. Um, first of all, do you understand we're living in, like, this is, this is, we're in the 2000s, and we're still, all of our technology is still being you know, taken down by squirrels? Like, couldn't we just send squirrels into Afghanistan? They'd be running the country by now. <laughs> anyway, don't get me started. So anyway, so what happens is, is that apparently a squirrel had gotten into the inner workings of one of these transformers, had gotten himself in between two conduits, had electrocuted himself in service of Satan, um, and then, then afterward, after he electrocuted himself, and then thus the picture that you see before you, uh, then, who said ah, uh, by the way? No, no ah. Uh. That was, if that squirrel wasn't dead, I would have done it myself. 
Um, uh, you know, feel free to let the people at PETA know that. Um, so, um, as I tell the people from PETA, I love animals. They're delicious. Um, sorry, but I'm getting off track. So anyway, so the squirrel, so now there's no power, and they said we're not going to be able to restore power for at least another several hours. So then we're scrambling because it's like 45 minutes before our first Easter service is supposed to start. We find someone with a generator. The guy, um, we hook up then two generators, one on each side for the two theaters, and then we, <laughs> we get the power going enough to get, have enough power for the band and the, the speakers and all that, but we don't have enough power to turn the AC on. Um, and so it was literally like 10,000 degrees in that, um, in those theaters that day. And a lot of people came to know Jesus that day, but I really don't think it has anything to do with the preaching. I really think people went in and said, if hell is anywhere near as hot as this, I want no part of it. Yes, I want to come to Jesus because it's really hot in here. So, um, well, the, the, so the theater started having some financial issues and they thought the answer to that was starting showing movies earlier. And because um, I don't know what you want to do at 940 in the morning, but go to the movies is right at the top of my list. Um, but so they're like, well, we want to start showing movies at like 945, 10 a.m. And so you can do one service at eight in the morning and then you got to be out by like 930. And we're like, well, if we did service at eight o'clock in the morning, it'd be like me and maybe my wife. We're not even sure there. And that's going to be about it. So we decided we'll move. We, we, then the door opened for us to move to Barbara Goldman High School. And that, this is a picture from Barbara Goldman. Um, and this is when, yeah, this is when things kind of began to change. The first time we had a real stage, um, which was nice. And so the first time we had, um, you know, uh, uh, projectors and screens and all that kind of stuff. So that was, a, that was a big, a big deal. I don't know if any of you remember the first Easter that we had at Barbara Goldman, uh, where the problem was not the Easter squirrel. Uh, the problem was a lazy government employee. Um, and so there was someone who didn't, turn on, they didn't set the system to turn, for the AC to turn on on Easter Sunday for us, and so, and then after we even tracked them down, they weren't willing to get out of bed and go do it, and, um, you know, because they're, anyway, let me not disparage government employees, because I'm sure there are four or five good ones, um, uh, and, and I just haven't met one yet, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Enter yourself. Okay. Um, so anyway, so we had the we had that was the first time that we had more than a thousand people in our Easter services, and it was I mean literally like it, it must have been like 200 degrees in that that um, theater. Like people are waving, you know, like using like oh these bulletins are really nice. This is good. They must have been you know this is all everybody was doing. Um, and then I was sweating like a Pentecostal preacher. Um, <laughs> seriously, it was rough. It was rough. Um, I mean, I, I looked like someone had just like hit me with Gatorade. I just won the national championship or something. Um, so, so then after that, um, we we had this this real leading that God was calling us to start a second campus here in Miramar. And so, um, about two years ago, we um, we we launched this campus in Miramar with no idea. That there would that things at at, um, at the high school we were meeting in in Miami Lakes would come to an end, but sure enough, um, the administration let us know that we weren't going to be able to meet there anymore. And even though we had meeting after meeting after meeting with them, asking them, hey, you know, this is really a good thing if you let us meet here, um, they just said, no, this I think the season is over. And so we then said, well, the best thing for us would be let's just move everything to Miramar. And because we were already here. We, were, we didn't skip a beat. I mean, it was just like we ended there, and then the next week we were here. And things just kept rolling the way that they were supposed to roll. Now, the hilarious part of the story is that I actually got all kinds of calls from pastors all over the country who were like, what, that was an amazing strategy. How did you guys do this, that you started the one, and then a few months later you moved, and how did you do that? I'll be honest with you. I, what I wanted to say was, well, this all happens. I fast a lot. I'm very close to God, obviously closer than you. Um, and, you know, God likes me more than most people. So I, I, and I, was, I, I but I didn't because it's probably not true. Um, and, and I said, you know, I said, you know, the truth is, is that I, we, we didn't, we're, we're not smart enough to put together a strategy that good. We just really felt like this is what God was calling us to do. And we saw it as a great opportunity 
But we had no idea that there was even a bigger picture than what we were, than the plan that we felt God was, was leading us towards. And so we, um, so that, so that all happened and that's kind of what got us to where, where we are now. And, um, and, and, you know, God has blessed our church tremendously and, um, and, and yet there's still a ne- next steps for us to take. I mean, the story doesn't end here. And so I don't think it's any real surprise that, um, that our next step is to move from a portable facility to move into our own facility, right? A, a place that we can occupy and do ministry 24-7, that, a place that we can call our own. Um, and the, the, the question is, if that's, our, if that's our goal, and that's really the, the next step that God has for us, then how do we get there? I mean, how do we get from, from where we are now to where God ultimately wants us to be? Uh, by the way, the, the first service clapped right there, but it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Um, it's too late, but they did clap there. And then I told them, I said, well, I haven't asked you for anything yet. Wait till the end. If you're clapping at the end, then this is went over well. Um, so, but uh, now here's the thing. Here's what I want you to know is that we're living in, in an economic world where um, banks aren't loaning to anyone and everyone anymore. A few years ago, the criteria for banks loaning is they would take a mirror, put it under your nose. If there was breath, then you qualified. Um, now the criteria is much more rigid, and while there are banks that are still loaning, um, they've raised the standard as to whom they will lend to. And so just to give you an idea as to what, kind of what, what it would look like, um, if we found a property, a building to buy that was $3 million, let's say, um, there we would be in a need to put down um, probably close to six to seven hundred thousand dollars, about twenty, 20 to twenty five percent, just to close on the property. And so then, on top of that, there's construction costs, architectural plans. There's a season where we're constructing over there, but still meeting here. And so we're going to be we'd be paying a mortgage there and paying our, our rental here. And so. Um, so there'd be costs involved just to take the ne- just to be the beginning of taking the next step, and so just like a family doesn't buy a house until they they have the money to put down, um, you know they don't start looking for places and all that and, and say hey let's sign a contract before they have any money to put down. In the same way, we need to operate in the, in the same respect before we take that next step. In fact, one of the things that I've seen is with the children of Israel as they prepare to take their next step, the next step from going from being slaves in Egypt to getting to the land of promise, in between there was a season where they sacrificed for the building of the tabernacle as they were journeying through to the promised land. And so what I want to do is, and if you would open with me to the book of Exodus chapter 35, um, what I want to do is I want us to see this vision become a reality, but I want to actually go maybe a step below the surface. And I want to talk about not just what it's going to take on a very practical and tactical level and what it takes for a vision to become reality, but I also want to talk about the kind of people and the characteristics that it takes for this kind of vision to become reality. And that's what I want to look at in Exodus 35. And so if you look in Exodus 35, we're going to start in verse 4. It says this. It says, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring as an offering to the Lord gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and in the breastplate. And if you pause there and give me your attention, of these characteristics of building our future together, the first characteristic is this, is that our future needs willing hearts. Willing hearts. Um, last week, my wife and I, uh, my family and I, we were on our uh, vacation. We've been planning this for several months, and we said this is going to be our, our last one before our daughter is born in, in about 10 weeks or so. And so we, um, so we went to Disney and we, uh, we rented those Surrey bikes. I don't know if you're familiar with what a Surrey bike is. It's, like, uh, it's those bikes where you, several people can pedal all at the same time. And uh, so my daughter had been asking all week if we could rent one of those Surrey bikes. So on the last day, we decided to go ahead and do it. And so um, me and Xander are too small to pedal, so we put them in the front. There's a spot 
for kids and or luggage that you can put there in, in, in the front. And then, um, so we get in and then Carrie and I are, are pedaling together. So we decide to start, we start pedaling and it, the whole, the way, the path that they have goes around this lake, which is fine, except there's two spots where you've got to go kind of climb to the top of a bit of a hill, then you go down and then you go around, uh, you go around the lake. And so, um, we, we start up this first hill and I mean, and my legs are on fire as I'm doing this. My daughter is ringing the bell going, Poppy, faster, faster. And I'm like, of course you say faster, you're not pedaling. And, uh, and, and so anyway, we, we get up the first hill okay, and then we go to hit the second hill. And my, my wife says, um, Robert, I'm, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, I don't care. Pedal. <laughs> and, uh, and, and she's, and she's like, I can't pedal anymore. So she stops pedaling. I'm the only guy pedaling. Four people, I'm the only one, and I'm slugging it out. And I make it. Now, the second hill is actually a little worse than the first one. I finally make it to the top of the first hill, and then you go down the hill, and you come back to where you started. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's over. And then the kids go, one more time. And I'm like, no way. You want to go, you pedal. And I'll sit up in the front with the luggage. And, uh, and, and they're like, no, come on, let's go one more time. And so Carrie's like, come on, let's do it one more time. And I'm like, what is this mutiny? And I'm like, fine, we'll go one more time. So we get up to, um, we get up to now the first hill again. And, you know, she stops pedaling. And I'm like, woman, you got, you know, come on. And so then um, we finally make it up just because of my superhuman strength and sheer will. I get to the top of the first hill, we make it all the way over, we get to the second hill, and I'm already, my legs are wasted at this point. I get to the, like, just inching up the first, the second hill, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, and, and, um, and Carrie says, I can't pedal anymore. And I'm like, what is, you know, you should have told me that back in the beginning, you know? And, and she's like, well, I'll just get off and walk, and then you can ride the bike up the hill. I'm like, but honey, you're pregnant. Okay, get off. And, uh, and so... So she gets off, and I start pedaling by myself up the hill, and it helps a little bit. And I'll be, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, I get like this. I start pedaling faster, making more motion. All I can attribute it to is the Holy Spirit, who has empowered me with superhuman strength, you know, like Samson, to be able to do this feat. And I just start pedaling, and I'm like, whoa! You know, I start pedaling like crazy, I go to turn around to tell my wife, and it's my wife pushing the bike up the hill. Now, I feel bad because my wife is seven months pregnant, and she's pushing the bike up the hill. And I go, and I'm like, keep pushing! And... And we go, and it's like, it seems okay, because we're going for it. And I'm just like, you know, this is bad. And I know it's bad, and I know it looks bad, but my legs are thanking me. And, and, I, and we're almost at the top of the hill. When I'm almost at the top of the hill, I hear another bell in the background. It's a family of four. And they're like, the mom, dad, and two, like, teenage kids. And they're all like, hee, all having fun. I just hate people like that. And then they're all like pedaling and having a good time. And then they see my situation, which is, shall we call, less than ideal. And uh, they see this guy who could probably lose a few with his two kids who they can't help anything. And then a woman seven months pregnant pushing a bike uphill. And then they stop giggling. And then they're like, they start looking and sneering. And they're making the mommy. What's that all about? You know, and it's like, and it's okay though. I forget. I ask God to forgive them for judging me. And uh, now, <laughs> I'm telling you, only the most awkward things happen to me, and it all happens for your benefit. I hope you're happy. Um, now, the the listen. Now there is a point to this story. <clears throat> Other than I need God's help in my life. Other than that. Um, and that is, listen, things work so much better when all of us are pedaling, when all of us are working together towards a common goal, that not one of us or two of us, but essentially all of us start pedaling and working towards going in the same direction. And when we do, 
We can reach higher and, and go faster and do more than we thought when it was just one of us. It's the very same thing that happened with the children of Israel. They were asked by God to bring an offering for the building of this tabernacle, but here was the caveat. He said it had to be willing. Because what they didn't want, what God didn't want, what Moses didn't want, and certainly what we don't want, is for someone to feel like, well, I've got to do it because I feel manipulated or it's out of compulsion. Instead, here's what the Bible says. He says this, but I, but I say this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So as we talk about our future and we talk about the commitment that we're going to be challenged, all of us to make, understand that the first step in seeing our future become a reality is hearts that are willing. Because we are not going to get from here to there unless our heart is in it. Because everything really begins and ends with the heart. And so it's when all of us say, hey, I'm willing and desiring to all start pedaling together. It's when we get to the top of the hill of where God ultimately wants us to go. But it's not just a willing heart. There's something more. I want you to look at verse 10. And we'll see the second thing. It says this, All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. And in verses 11 through 19, he lists everything. What has all the Lord commanded? The tabernacle, the tent, the covering, the clasps, the board, the bars, the pillars, the sockets, the ark, the poles, the mercy seat, the veil, the table and its poles, all the utensils, the showbread. He just lists everything. In verse 19, the garments of ministry for the ministering of the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Now here's the point, and here's the second point for us building our future together. Our future needs willing hearts. The second thing is our future needs gifted people. Gifted people. People that can actually look on and say, hey, God has, has given me a gift. And I can actually use that gift for the purpose of seeing this vision become a reality. Now, this campaign that we're going to talk about, um, the, if some, you guys probably don't know, but the first person to actually give to this campaign was my four-year-old daughter, Mia. Um, my daughter wanted to do a lemonade stand. And uh, those of you that were at the 11-year anniversary party that we did, remember my daughter had a lemonade stand. Some of you guys were very kind to come over and, um, and, and buy some rockin' lemonade that we had, by the way, and uh, testify. And, uh, and, uh, and so what happened was is that my daughter, and I'm not really even sure how this happens, but my daughter talked me into giving her 75 bucks. I'm not really sure how that happened, and I'm not even really sure I would do it again. But she talked me into giving her 75 bucks and what it would cost in the supplies for her to get cups and ice and uh, lemonade and strawberries because we were going to make strawberry lemonade too. And so it was like 75 bucks. Well, my daughter was able uh, to turn this $75 investment into $400 that she made on this lemonade stand. Yeah. <clears throat> and listen, number one, it tells me that I have an entrepreneur in my house that I'm raising, which I'm ha- very happy about. But the other thing is this. It just it showed me the power of what one person's gift can do. The power of one person who just has an idea and is willing to be creative. And that if we all use are creative, we can actually see things happen. God tells all of these artisans, all these people that are gifted, and he says, listen, that for all of them to be involved in the construction of the temple and the construction of the tabernacle, pardon me. Now, we've already talked to our staff. We talked to a group of leaders about this, what we're going to lay out for you in this, this campaign that, that, we're, uh, that we're going to lay out for you this morning. We talked to them a couple of weeks ago about it. And um, we, I'm already hearing people who are creatively thinking about things that they can do. People that want to host dinners and sell assets like stock or cars or do garage sales. or They're thinking of all different types of things that they can do. And what they're looking for is over the course of 15 months, between now and the end of of the end of next year, 2012, I mean, what can we do? How can we do some things creatively to see this vision become a reality? And so my wife and I, we've made the biggest financial commitment we've ever made in our lives to this campaign that we're, gonna, that we're laying out for you today. And I'm telling you that right now, I, I couldn't write a check for the, for the amount that we've committed, but we do know this, is as we look at, it's not just for now, it's for the course of 15 months. 
And as we look at, you know, 15 months and if we can chunk it down and do some things that are creative and, and, and all that, that we can actually see that become a reality. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 12. It says There's, there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. There are differences in ministries but the same Lord. So the, the idea is not just think about, well, this is what I can do right now. Don't just think about right now. Think about here's what I can, how can I employ my gifts over the course of a year and three months and do something great in this, in this campaign. Well, there's one more thing that I want to show you, and it's in verse 20 of the same chapter. Here's what it says. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose, spirit, whose heart was stirred, everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting. For all its service and for the holy garments, they came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings. I guess they were popular back then as well. Um, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold. That is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, every man or woman who was, fa- was found uh, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, uh, red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone who had an offering of silver or bronze brought the, uh, the Lord's offering and everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought uh, what, their, what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine linen. All the women whose hearts uh, were stirred with wisdom spun yarns of, of goats here. And the rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, all spices for the light, for the anointing oil, and for the, for the sweet incense. And the, Lord, uh, or the children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, we said that our future needs this. It needs willing hearts, it needs gifted people, and then here's the third one, is it needs stirred spirits. That, that's, what, that's what he says there in, in verse 21. It says, everyone came whose heart was stirred, everyone whose spirit was willing. What I love about this story is that everyone freely brings their offering to the Lord for the building of the tabernacle, and it wasn't out of compulsion. Instead, it was out of a response to the fact that God had freed them from a life of slavery and bondage. You see, let me um, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26... Here's, here's what it says. It says, Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. And then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And so the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and signs and wonders. And He has brought us to this place and given us a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. You see, the idea was this, is that whenever we give, whenever we give our our tithes, um, whenever we give an offering, that the idea is this, is that we don't give simply to get, even though God promises to bless those who are faithful to give. Instead, the motivation for giving was, for for, for Israel was this, was that God had saved them that they had been slaves, now God had brought them to this place where they were free. And so the offering was, God, thank you for saving me. I owe you everything. And yet at the same time, you've chosen um, to, to bless me, and now I want to just give this to you as a response to your, to your blessings in my life. Listen, the same thing is true for us. We went from a place of slavery to sin to freedom. That God has saved us and we owe Him everything. And when we give, listen, we give with the heart that says, hey, God, I owe you everything. And because I owe you everything, I'm going to take this part and give it to you. And you're, you're so amazing that even though I'm giving you back what already belongs to you, you've promised to bless me for it. Now let's take the conversation from the past and move it to the present. 
And that is, and talk about what God is asking of us and for us to take our next step. Now let me give you a little bit of background that's going to help us to go, to go forward. And that is, um, I, I firmly believe in God's principles of stewardship. Not only do I believe in God's principles of stewardship for us as individuals, but I believe in God's principles of stewardship for us as, as, as a church. And that is, for 11 years, we've run this church on zero debt. We don't know anybody anything. And that's something that's very important to us. Yeah. Thank you. And we, have, we work very hard to, for our church to be financially healthy. And that is that we, we are a church that lives within our means. And so... What we looked at when we said that we want to go, what's the, the, what, as we take the next step, what does it look like? What does it mean? We looked at it and we said, uh, as we talked to not only our board of directors and our, um, our accountant, we looked at, uh, we talked to some bank vice presidents who gave us good counsel, and we said, what would a good next step look like for us? And there, um, there, there, what they, we all kind of really came to agreement on was a couple of things. One is... Um, the, the amount of rent that we pay here, by the way, you do know they don't let us meet here free, right? Okay, good. Because that, you know, we're just living on love. No, unfortunately, we're living on love as long as the check cashes. Um, so that's, um, so we, <laughs> we're meeting, some things are starting in the notes. Um, and uh, so, so we're, the, the idea is this, is that the amount of rent that we pay between here, between um, our office space, and um, if you calculate that over the course of a year, it's actually a, almost the same amount as would be the, the monthly mortgage on uh, the monthly payment on a two million dollar mortgage. So essentially, if we took everything that we were paying right now and got a mortgage for two million dollars, it would be about the same. So we looked at that, and, and so they said, "Well, that's very healthy. That, that's very good that, that, that you're doing that." Um, and then we looked at what our needs were. And we said, well, here, here's what it would be. If we had a $3 million project, we already know that we're able to cover $2 million based on what we're already, our, our monthly, um, in, in, in the, the, mor- the payments that we're making in rent in our, in our uh, mortgage, in our, uh, in our rentals. But the other thing was this, and that if we were able to raise a $1 million, that would cover the amount that we are, um, that, w- that would cover the down payment, that would cover the start and the construction um, on the architectural plans. And, once again, when we're building and meeting here, that extra cushion that we would need to cover rent, uh, you know, rent and mortgage in both places before we, we moved in. I tell you that because our goal is not to get into some $10 million project and get into some huge mortgage where now every, we exist as a church to just pay a mortgage. Churches do not exist just to pay mortgages. Churches exist to do ministry to reach people, see them come to know Jesus, disciple them to the place of maturity. That's what we do, and we never want to lose focus of that. A building is simply a tool that helps us do that better. And so as we looked at that, we said a $3 million project is a good, um, is a good next step for us so that we're not in a place where we're overextending ourselves and putting ourselves in a precarious place um, uh, financially. And that's why... Um, you know, two million comes out of our normal operating expenses in that that mortgage part, and a million will come through this campaign that we're calling Blueprint. So the question is, how does that vision become reality? How do we, how do we see that happen? The ushers are going to come forward now, and they're going to uh, pass out. Every, all, each of you are going to get a packet, and um, that we're going to have you uh, take a look at, and you can feel free to open it. Um, and, and look through it. I'm going to keep talking as you are taking a look at it. Um, but this is going to outline, it's going to, all the material is going to outline the campaign and how we're going to reach this goal. Essentially, Blueprint is a campaign that will allow us, as we talk about building our future together, that will allow us to raise a um, million dollars between now and the end of 2012. Because, um, and you know, for all the reasons that I outlined, and being able to close on the property, and, and all of that. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is, I don't have a picture of a building to show you. Because sometimes I can show you a picture and be like, wow, everybody's excited. But here's the thing that, ha- here's the thing that can happen. Is that we can go look at a building, and then I can say, hey, we really like it, and we can try to get under contract on the building, and then say, all right, hey, everybody, here's a picture of a building. Now, we've got 60 days to come up with $600,000. And we thought, that's just not a wise thing to do. That's not, what not, that's not what a wise family does. 
a wise family says, this is what our budget is. Now we need, to, we need to save some money, raise some money, so that we can now take that next step and it makes sense. So let me answer a few questions that typically come up. And I want you to, this is the part, I want you to hear it from me before you, you know, because I know how things go. The question is, here's one question that comes up. Where are we looking? Um, we're looking essentially in a five-mile radius from here. So that means, that of, of where we meet right now. Uh, so that means we're looking in, uh, in Miramar, we're looking in Pembroke Pines, we're looking in Miami Lakes, where we were for many years. Um, you know, and, we're, and so we, what we looked at was, we, and we said, where is our church coming from? 95% of our church is coming from within a five-mile radius of where we're sitting right now. And so we want to be where our church is. Um, another question that comes up is, are we looking at building or land? Um, the answer, honestly, is either. An existing building would be easier simply because it would cut down the time of construction and all that, and we'd just be retrofitting uh, an existing building rather than um, building something from scratch. But if we found a piece of land that was within our price range and we could do the project within that $3 million um, budget, we would certainly look at that. But we're really looking at either probably leaning more towards an existing building than just raw land. Um, the question that comes up is this, why, why $3 million? And I tried to outline that. But one of the things that's important to note, and sometimes people don't realize, like, $3 million sounds like a lot. You know, I got my house for a lot cheaper than that. And it's like, well, number one, your, your house probably can't fit several hundred people. Um, but, you know, but, but here's, I think, one of the things that's important to note. Um, one acre of land is about 80 parking spots. And so, you know, there's a weird thing that happens when all of you guys come to church. You all bring your cars. So odd, all right? And so it's just, it's just what happens. So for us, we look at a project, and it's like we're going to need several, you know, we're going to need a few acres just for parking, so for everybody to bring their cars. So we're looking at maybe a twenty to 40,000 square foot building, and then on top of that, a few acres just for parking for everybody to be able to fit their, to fit their car. Another question that comes up is, do we even need a building? Can't we just keep meeting here? And yeah, we can meet here, and we do have, and, and we can keep renewing our contract here as long as the administration of the school is cool with us being here, and we have a great relationship with them. But once again, that's not a long-term plan. It's not a long-term plan that we, we rent this facility for six hours, and our office, between six hours here a week in our offices, and it's the same amount as a $2 million mortgage um, for a property that we could have seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Uh, we started Wednesday night services a few months ago and had to stop due to the school schedule because, you know, they're a school first. Um, and we started meeting, and so it was like we went three or four Wednesdays, and then they said, well, we have something, so, we, you know, can you cancel? And we said, okay, we'll, we'll cancel that. And then um, after that, um, we went a couple more Wednesdays, and they said, well, um, we do have a couple of things going on, so you'll need to cancel for the next seven weeks. And then after that, then you'll be okay for the next couple of weeks, and then you need to cancel for three weeks. And we just realized, like, this isn't really working. And so we, we took a step back from that and said, you know, um, in our own facility, you can focus on youth and children's ministry and discipleship and creating the kinds of environments that we really need uh, in, in, in our church. Another question that comes up, too, is should I direct all my giving to Blueprint and to the campaign? Uh, and the answer to that is no. Um, Blueprint is an offering that's above and beyond your existing or your regular giving. If everybody just took everything they gave and just gave it to Blueprint, which that, that might be, seem like a good thing, except we wouldn't be able to meet here every Sunday until we found a, a place to meet. And so um, the, the current, whatever our regular giving is, is what allows us to keep doing ministry, because once again, that's what we exist to do is ministry. Um, the, this, this Blueprint offering is really an offering above and beyond your existing giving, because tithing is undirected giving to the local church, an offering is directed giving for a specific purpose. So, now here's what I want to do. I want to show you a couple of things within the packet that we gave you. And you have a letter there from me. You have an offering envelope. Um, and then there's two things I want to show you. One is this commitment card. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And then the other is this, uh, is this blueprint brochure. Um, if you'll go to the centerfold of the blueprint brochure... Um, it's like, well, how do we get, how do we raise a million dollars? I mean, how does that actually happen? I want you to see this little, um, this little, this chart here. Um, 
which one person said looks like the stairs in Super Mario Brothers. Um, <clears throat> but this, this, um, this chart will show us exactly how we get there. With one person giving 100000 two people giving fifty, four people giving 25000 10 people giving 10000 20 people giving 5000 50 people giving 2500 and 375 people giving 1000 over the course of 15 months, that's a million dollars. And, and the, the idea is this, is that as my wife, and this is what I told the group that um, we had like these advanced groups that, that are, you know, people that are really involved and, and we, you know, they, they met, we had meetings at the office and we challenged them. And this is what I told them. I said, you're looking at this and you're looking at a number that you say, oh, I think I could do that. Here's my challenge to you. Go up one um, and, and, and try to stretch yourself and see what, what God did. And I'll tell you, and I'm telling you that because that's what I did. That I, I saw a number and I said, I think I could do that. And then I felt like, you know what? Um, I need to be more sacrificial than that. And, we, and my wife and I said, let's, let's go up one. And here's the thing that I think is really important. Because the challenge here is I'm going to challenge you to, <clears throat> to pray through and think through what is God, what's the involvement that God wants me to have in this, in this campaign. Um, I told you about these meetings that we had with key leaders uh, in, in the church. Not a huge group. Just, you know, a couple meetings of 15, 20 people. Told them about the vision of Blueprint, where we're going as a church. And that group, that small group of staff and leaders, um, has already committed um, a little over $210,000 to Blueprint. Yeah. Which is amazing. Now, here's the other thing. This is the part I haven't told you. Is that as a church, once again, we want to never live above our means. We want to live um, below our means. And so we've been doing our very best to save um, for a season. And so we have, there's, our church already has $150,000 in savings. So, so, yeah. So here's where we are. We're just announcing Blueprint today. And between what we've saved and what's been committed, we're at just over $360,000 for this, for this campaign. Yeah. So... We're just starting today, and we're all, we've, talked to, we've done some saving, and we've talked to a very small group of people, and we're already a third of the way there. But now, here's the challenge. Now the challenge is all of us have to come together and say, that small group did an amazing thing and, 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 and raised one-third of it. Now all of us have to come together and say, we're going to take care of the other two-thirds of it. And the way that we do it is by looking and saying, God, what do you want me to be, what do you want me to do over the next 15 months with this campaign. Now, I want you to look at this, this um, commitment card for just a moment. Now, there's two things. Um, we're asking that everyone return this by, and you'll see it written here, um, by November 6th, um, which is three weeks from now. But here's what I, I'm going to ask you not to do. Don't just say, oh, I've got three weeks to talk about it. I'm okay. No, no, no. And then you put it in the back of your Bible and you don't really ever talk about it until November 5th and, and you're coming to church. And Instead, here's what, here's what my encouragement is to you. My encouragement is, is that maybe this afternoon, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow at the latest, is that you and your wife or your family, you guys sit down and you look through and you say, what does God want us to do? And it's not that you've got to commit to it and write the check today. Instead, it's you commit to it and say, what can God do through me over the course of 15 months? between now and um, next December 31st. Um, when we started this church, <clears throat> when we were getting ready to start, um, I had told a friend of mine that we were going to start, and what he did, um, he, he gave me an envelope. He wrote, wrote us a check for $1,000. And he said, I'm giving you this because I believe in you and I believe in the work of Calvary. And that's how this church was started, by the sacrifice and generosity of someone else. When we first started our church and we had just started, we just moved from the, the, the living room that you saw into the hotel that we were meeting in, we were using a borrowed sound system. And that sound system, um, they, the church that lent it to us said, yeah, you can use it as long as you want. Two weeks after they lent it to us, they said, hey, we're so sorry, but we're going to need it back. And I, so um, I brought it back to them. It was a Tuesday morning. I drove up, gave it back to them, and then I remember spending all day um, I was still running a college at that time, and all I could think about is we don't have a, a sound system for us for, for Sunday. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, that afternoon, I got a call from um, 
uh, some friends here here in town, um, and they said, hey, a bunch of boxes just came with your name on them, and quite honestly, they're in our way. Could you come pick them up? And I said, yeah, I'll do that, but I didn't order anything, so I think it might be a mistake. So I get to the church where all the stuff is, and there's these enormous boxes. And it came from a company in California whom I didn't know. And in there was a, um, a package. In the, uh, within all the boxes, there was, a, there was a package with a letter, and it said, um, Pastor Bob, uh, my name is, and told me his name, and he says, I, I run an audiovisual company in California, and I heard that you were starting a church, and I thought you might need a sound system. Um, and yeah, it's been 11 years and I wrote that guy the nicest thank you card you could imagine. Um, but I've still to this day, I've never met him and he's never been to this church, but he simply heard that God was doing something and said, I I, want to be part of it. And listen, you know, what's amazing to me is that, you know, parts of that sound system are still around and we're still using And that there was a time when we started that his sacrifice allowed people to hear God's word and allowed people to worship. Um, When we were meeting in in the hotel and we said, hey, we're going to move from here to the movie theater, people sacrificed for us to be able to make that move so that we could see more people hear God's word, more people worship, and more people who were far from God come closer to him. And all of us, listen, we have all benefited from the sacrifices of others. And now... And and the reason that we're here is because someone came before us and sacrificed so that now there would be enough space for us to be here. And now it's our turn. Now it's our turn to sacrifice for the sake of not just our families and our kids and our teenagers to have a spot to, to, to call their own, but for the families who've never darkened the door of a church and who maybe now it would be their time as as we look at having a place of of our own. You see, we are on the verge of doing something so significant that has really little to do with the building. It's a little bit. But even more, it's what, what God is going to do through that building as a tool in His hand to reach people in this community and beyond that will not just last for time, but also for eternity. And so that's why, what does it take? for us to see this blueprint, for us to build our future together. It takes a willing heart. It takes people using their gifts to think creatively, and what can I do over 15 months? And for people to slow down enough to say, God, will you stir me for this thing that you're doing, for me to be a part of it, because so many have sacrificed to this point for, so that I can enjoy what we enjoy here. And now, God, it's my turn to sacrifice for us to be able to take our next step and take it together. Let's pray. And Lord, we want to thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for the fact that you do want to speak to us. And Lord, we know that it really is not about a building, bricks and mortar. It's about a tool in your hand to reach us, to deepen our commitment to you for us to sacrifice and for you to show up in ways that we couldn't possibly ask, think, or imagine. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here that you'd speak to us clearly, that you'd give us hearts that are courageous, that are willing, that are bold, that are generous, and that we would experience an outpouring of your grace like we've never seen before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.